Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to Right on Hollywood with Christian Toto, part of the Just the News Podcast Network. Sick of media bias infecting film reviews? Furious that too many stars insult your views? Ride on Hollywood has your back. Christian is an award-winning journalist, movie critic, and founder of HollywoodInToto.com, the right take on entertainment. Now here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to episode two of Ride on Hollywood. I think they call that a sequel, right? This week I break down a fascinating new column on conservative comedy, share why my Carvel and Matlin-style marriage lets me escape the partisan bubble, and talk to a filmmaker behind the one movie we desperately need now, more than ever. I mean it. First up, let's go into that column. Now, this one really caught my attention, for pretty obvious reasons. Professors Nick Marks and Max Sinkowitz examine the rise of Fox News's Gutfeld. You know, that's the show that is now the king of late night. But also looking at more of the conservative comedy space in general. Now, these two come to some interesting conclusions, and some that is just driving me absolutely crazy. Here's a start. Gutfeld's success might come as a shock because it punctures long-standing assumptions about what comedy is, who can produce it, and who will enjoy it. <laughs> who assume that? Since when can conservatives laugh and or tell political jokes? We're not off to a good start here. Here's more. Despite its growing prominence, right-wing comedy remains largely invisible in both mainstream and scholarly discussions of media and humor. In part, this has happened because social media algorithms don't send users jokes likely to offend or challenge their political sensibilities. Now, there's a lot of truth there. I mean, liberals are always sharing clips of John Oliver destroying Ted Cruz or Mike Lindell. And conservatives do the same whenever J.P. Sears shreds up pandemic protocols. It's just what we do. Now, of course, they have to dial up the phoniest of all the comedy canards, the punching up, punching down syndrome. Here's more. Others are making similar arguments, saying true liberal comedy is more likely to punch up, while dismissing conservative comedy as mere mockery that reaffirms unjust systems of power. Hey, do you know who controls the government right now? In the media? In Hollywood? and academia? It's not Mike Lindell. All right, here the column gets a little unhinged. Here's more. If you find comedians such as Gutfeld unfunny or, more to the point, offensive, you may ask whether he should be granted the honorific of comedian. All right, <laughs> who's asking that question? Why isn't he a comedian? He tells jokes, right? Come on, guys. Now, I can't read the whole column, but the conclusion is, let's just say revealing. Here's the end. Gutfeld may be the biggest star, but a range of right-wing comedians are coming together in a constellation that allows young, right-wing, curious consumers to find a place in the universe of American conservative media and politics. The value or danger of right-wing comedy is a matter of political opinion. 
Its reality, however, is no joke. <laughs> Are they trying to scare us? Well, I mean, it's Halloween season. Maybe that's part of it. But danger of right-wing comedy? What about the danger of left-wing comedy? If you're going to make that argument, that line drove me bonkers. Now, these professors took up an important topic, and I'm glad there's enough comedy right now coming from the right to even inspire it. I don't think that was the case 10 years ago. But it's driving me crazy to read some of their conclusions. I mean, they're ignoring the fact that liberal comedians have had a run of the field for like a decade, if not more. Now, here's the part of the column that I like, and it's actually not in the column. I invited Nick and Matt to come on this podcast because I want to talk about this more, more openly, and I want to ask some tough questions. They quickly said yes. It's one of the reasons why I want to get back into podcasting to begin with, to have civil, meaty discussions on topics just like this. It's what we need. I want to have more conversations. Now, stay tuned. That conversation should be in an upcoming show sooner or later, and I can't wait for it. I don't like to get too personal on this podcast for obvious reasons, but sometimes when you open up, it can really be helpful. So for full disclosure, I'm in a mixed marriage. I'm an openly conservative guy, and my wife is Bernie bro. And yet it works. We've been married 15 years, and neither of us, to my knowledge, has any divorce lawyers on speed dial. Not, not yet, at least. That uh, 2016 that election was a little rough, but we survived. So why bring it up? Well, for me, it makes really demonizing people on the left hard. I just can't do it without thinking, oh my gosh, that's my wife. She's going to vote that way. She may think along those lines. She may disagree with me vehemently. So I can't make her a monster if I make other people a monster. It just doesn't work. Now, I think that really does matter because I think that on the partisanship angle that we have right now, a lot of times we're denying our humanity of our foes. That's something I can do. And I think it's something we all should remember, whether on the left or the right or the middle. It's also a reminder why I think conservatives have a bit of an edge in the current culture wars. Not a big one, but one I think you can talk about. We know what liberals are thinking and doing. It's all over the press. It's on social media. It's in Hollywood. It's in all the headlines we read. We know what's going on. And then, of course, people on the right will go to National Review or the Daily Wire, some more respectable right-of-center outlets, and you know, find the other side of the story. We get the full picture that way. I think, ultimately, that's the best way to frame an argument, to push forward new ideas, because you're not really reading from one specific hymnal. You've got both sides. You've got more of a sense of what's going on, more context, more perspectives, more facts. And I think it allows you to not to shoot yourself in the foot too often. I mean, we all do it, but maybe cut that down a bit. And I think this came to mind for me. I was reading a lot of stories and hearing some podcasts talking about the X-Men, the Marvel Comics title. And what I read was that they were thinking about changing the name X-Men. It's too much associated with the patriarchy. X-Men. What about X-Women? There's actually a line about that in one of the recent X-Men films, too. I'm thinking, oh gosh, here we go again. But I also read from a left-of-center news outlet, Movie Maker Magazine, that that was an older quote from someone from Marvel Comics. So someone said it, talked about it briefly, didn't go on from there. And to the best of my knowledge, I don't think anything's happened since then. That's two years old. So if they were going to change it, they probably would have changed it right away. Now, anything can happen. The woke mindset is pretty rough these days. And perhaps in five to 10 years, there will be a, a reframing of the X-Men series, but not yet. And I think a lot of my right of center friends maybe jumped the gun in that particular conversation. So I think when you read more outlets, when you expand your horizons, when you kind of 
check out what the other side is saying and doing. It makes you more informed. I think we all need that. So now I'm as guilty as being in the bubble sometimes as anyone else. We're all going to make mistakes. But it's always a good idea to kind of pop your head in that bubble at least once in a while. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to my daddy's podcast. This week's Toto Take is housebound. I saw this New Zealand import a few years ago at the Mile High Horror Film Festival here in Denver. It quickly became one of my favorite horror comedies ever. By the way, is there a better genre than the horror comedy? I know there's a lot of clunkers out there, but Shaun of the Dead, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, they are amazing when they're right. And this one's pretty darn close to right. The story follows a rebellious young woman who's forced to move back in with her parents after she tries and fails to crack open an ATM to get all the money inside. Not a good plan. But as it turns out, her parents' house is haunted. Now, it's a very simple setup here, nothing amazing, but it is smart, it is funny, it is surprising. And, you know, I heard an American remake was in the offing. I think that maybe news dates back to 2015, so nothing's happened since then, but why bother? This is a really good movie. It's got New Zealand accents. What, well, do we need to translate that? Is that a problem for anyone? Housebound is excellent. It's well worth your time. And it's one of those movies that just kind of slipped under the radar. I don't think it ever became a, a, a sensation, possibly a cult hit among some select horror circles. But if you haven't seen it yet, what better time than Halloween season to write that wrong? This week's guest is more than just a fascinating guy. He's a friend, full disclosure. Joseph Grana made it to Hollywood as a younger man, and he found some solid gigs along the way. He was a working actor. How that is the that is the dream of every actor to get to Hollywood, to get some work done, to be actively pursuing your craft. But for Joseph, something was missing, and it came to a head at one point, and he quit. He left the business completely, moved to Colorado, started a whole new life, a whole new chapter of his life. But it turns out he had more stories to tell. And now he's starting to tell him. Joseph shares that journey during our conversation, including his really sweet indie film, The Healing Garden. Came out a few months ago. It's available now on all the major platforms. It's a faith-based story, but it's got that indie edge to it. It's good. It's smart. Very low budget, but you won't really see that. You just see good storytelling. So check that one out. But I have to say, it's his next project that I can't wait to see. Cameras aren't rolling yet, but that's going to happen. And I, I just... I can't imagine the, I guess the, uh, how this is all going to play out and also the reaction to it. It's an adaptation of Ride Sally Ride, a super subversive satire and uh, a story that's just, <laughs> it's ripe for retelling in the big screen, but I just, I just, more importantly, it really shreds everything woke in our culture today. The story follows a Christian who meets a friend or a neighbor, and this particular person has a sex robot who he claims is his wife. And, you know, reading some of the, Headlines recently about technology and robotics. This isn't so far from reality. I think it may be pretty darn close, but this particular Christian decides to dispose of the robot. It offends him. But now, he's accused of murder. Yeah, murder. Not a person, a robot. A sex robot. It only gets more interesting from there. Now, I've taken a little bit of a look at some early drafts of the screenplay, and man, this is the exact satire we need right now. So let's find out more about Ride, Sally, Ride. Joseph's Hollywood story, and more during my chat with Joseph Granda. 
Joseph, thanks for joining the show. Now, I, I know you spent a good chunk of your younger years in the belly of the beast in Hollywood. And I want to, there are so many stories to tell, and we'll kind of maybe share them as time marches on. But looking back at that period as an artist, as an actor, what was sort of the the best part of that experience, the kind of the most exciting, sort of living up to maybe the what you imagine as being a working actor in Hollywood? Um, what was the best part? Well, as a young person, it was just the opportunity to um, make any kind of a living being creative, you know, which is, you know, something I remind my my daughter, who's very creative, that, that being creative and making any kind of living at it is the gift, you know. Um, I don't wish fame and fortune on anyone. I've, <laughs> I've, 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 I just, I've just not seen anything good from it, um, including friends of mine who have passed away from, uh, you know, from drugs and alcohol and whatnot. And, and they were all, you know, both were people that were, became famous and they just weren't, I just didn't know who they were mm -hmm. once they got to that point. So, um, did you realize at the time how special that was that you were doing what you were doing? I mean, I, sometimes it's hard to kind of in the moment realize the luck, the skill, the, the good fortune that you have. Oh, absolutely. But let me tell you that it didn't come, uh, by luck it came from hard work and i'll tell you right now because i'm a i'm i'm in the i'm on the cusp of directing my second film i am incredibly dismayed at the lack of work ethic at most of the actors that i engage with whether it be through zoom calls or in person um uh i, I just don't know my question is is why are you in this business why are you pursuing this because if it's just because you want to be famous i suggest that you go do something else um because uh, I don't wish fame on anyone, but I'm just really dismayed that uh, an actor who doesn't even have an agent, but has a couple little credits that I have found that I thought would be interesting, and you send them the script, and they don't get to it. <laughs> I'll tell you what, when I was an actor in New York City, the first thing I did every Thursday morning was march out to the newsstand. This is the late 80s and 90s, and I would get the backstage, and I would find the ads that were having auditions and i sent my picture and resume to every single one i sent it to the ones i was not right for i went to auditions that i knew i wouldn't get cast at because like my old friend philip seymour hoffman used to say is like this is an opportunity to perform and i just think it's another another um another example of the laziness um not of all but of some young people, at least the ones that I've engaged in with. And do you find that the attitude you're seeing now is different than the, your fellow actors back in that period? Absolutely. Yeah. Let me so, tell you. I, go ahead. It, 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 it just, you know, especially in New York, it was really considered to be a craft. And you were a craftsman. You know, you studied, you were in um, um, scene classes. And, and I don't doubt that that still goes on. I'm just talking about my experience most recently mm -hmm. with, with young actors. And then also, you know, my last, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a person of faith and my last film was a nice family Christian movie. And I had actresses that turned down lead roles because they were not comfortable with literal interpretations of the Bible. Yet when you watch their video resume reel, one of them was her being raped by a man and the other one was her being smacked around by a boyfriend. So that was, that was rather confusing to me too. And illuminating, I would say. Very illuminating. Like, 
you know, and the same thing with, since we're on this topic, you know, I have this, this, this film that I'm, I'm, I'm looking to, to shoot in the spring and it's, it's based on a novel called Ride Sally Ride. And, and it's, it's the first movie to, that really starts to push, push back on this wokeism, this woke culture, but it's done in, in a, in a satirical way. It's not, it's not mean spirited. Um, it's really, it's a romantic comedy set inside this sort of dystopian world of wokeness. And, and, but, but running through it is a strong theology of Christian faith. And I've, I, I, I've just, I'm kind of beside myself that I found three actors that I thought would be really good for this. And it just so happens that they were also people of faith and they want nothing to do with it because they're afraid. They're, I don't know what they're, what they're afraid of. I mean, it's, I don't know. It's just very, very confusing to me. The secular people that read it think it's hilarious and they have no <laughs> problem wanting to be a part of it Yeah, because they, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they just want to work, but. Well, maybe the people of faith realize how much resistance they're getting just now, just being a person of faith in Hollywood. And they think, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't add another layer to that. That might be disastrous, but I can't get in the side of their head. But I, you know, I. But these are these are guys who won't bat an eye. I'm guessing taking out a gun and blowing somebody away in a bank heist in some mm-hmm. movie. You know, so I don't know. It's just it's it's been a very very interesting process, um, and I'm not looking for people. I'm just looking for good actors. You know. Yeah. So. If you're an actor and you want to out there listening to this and you want to send me your info, you can you can go to my website at josephgranda.com and do that. Nice. I, I, you know, so. Before we move on to your early stages in Hollywood, I, I know you've kind of met some interesting characters along the way, some great actors, had some funny experiences, many of which maybe you can't share here, but can you find one little anecdote, something a little PG-rated that you can share, maybe giving some insights into some of the people that we watched over the decades? Yeah, you know, uh, there's a lot that I could could tell you that are really interesting. One with Jack Nicholson, but uh, it's not PG. <laughs> okay. um, Shocking, right? Um, well, yeah. Well, you know, which I wonder what where is that guy? I mean, anyways, um, yeah. You know, I went to this uh, in the early '90s. I had started a film, and I was getting invited to all these these things, these events, and and I went to this. Uh, um event called the hole in the wall gang and it was for uh, it was paul newman's charity and my only goal that night was to get to meet paul newman by any means necessary (laughs) and so i was with a publicist and i said is there any chance that i can meet mr newman she said absolutely and i had had a few drinks to me this is prior to my sobriety of 27 years um and so i I went up to him and I said, you know, thank you for the invitation. Not that he invited me personally, but thank you for the invitation. And, you know, I'm, 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 I'm new. I just had my first film come out. Do you have any advice for me? And he said, yes. What will make you successful in this business is not so much what you know. It's not so much who you know or how you look. Those things all help, but your tenacity will get you anywhere you want to go. And I suggest taking it very easy on that drink, young man. <laughs> and so I spent the rest of the night telling people, Paul Newman told me to quit drinking. <laughs> That's great advice though. And it sounds like he yeah, really which, kind of took his time to share it with you too. It wasn't just a glib. Yeah. Yeah. He was very kind. And then, I mean, that was it. That was mm-hmm. my whole, my whole exchange. 
And it was really a sort of like um, fatherly, like here's somebody that's, and that, and I asked every time I met somebody famous, uh, I'll tell you one other one that's PG. I, I, I met Steven Spielberg at another event and I knew that I was only going to have a second. And I said, um, I hear that your movies come in on time and on budget, but how do you do that? <laughs> and he said, I go to my team and I say, can I have this vision in this amount of time for this amount of money? And if I can't, then I change my vision, which I thought was really, really smart. And somebody who is creative, realizing that his creativity is, is tied directly to the financial outcomes of what he can do at that moment. And, and that's something that I really stress on, on actors and anybody is that remember that it's called show business, but the business comes first. Mm -hmm. The business comes first. They don't care what you're making if you can show them how they'll make money with it. Yeah. And, you know, I think he's always been able to straddle line between being very successful and being creatively uh, among the best. So that's, that's an interesting perspective. Now, Joseph, yeah. I know you eventually left Hollywood and we'll get to sort of the, your, your, new, your new artistic vision shortly, but not an easy decision. I would imagine when you get in Hollywood and you're sort of open, the door is open for you, you think about being like Ernest Borgnine and working until your, you know, 60s and 70s right. and beyond. But you left and you, you what, can you just kind of quickly share what that moment was and how hard it was to kind of get to that moment? Yeah, yeah I, I got, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm as venal as any other guy. I'm, I'm, no, I'm no moral pillar. Um, but I, I, I got to a point where um, I, I was getting offers of work, you know, a flat out offer to come and do this job or that. And I got offered a, a, a part in a movie that was a big movie. And uh, I said to my agent, I said, well, what's the part? And she said, it's the campus rapist based on a true story. You know, and she told me the budget and the other people involved. And I, my, my, well, my, to be honest, my first thought was, what's it pay? And, and then my second thought was, you know, I'm not so sure I want to do that because, you know, when you go and you do that and you live in Los Angeles and then people see it and you walk around to go get your groceries, people go, oh, yeah, I saw you last night raping on TV. And then, you know, and my mother would watch it. And, and, and so I said to my agent, I'm not so sure I want to do that. And she said without a thought, but it'll be really good for your career. And I knew what she was talking about because uh, the, the career of an actor is a, is a, is a ladder of, of stepping up. And, and um, I just, I, it, just, it just didn't sit with me. Um, and I turned it down and my agency dropped me. <laughs> Um, and I, and I went and got another agent and I did one more movie and then, and then I left Hollywood. So that was sort of like, look, it's a much bigger picture for me uh, where I am now with my faith and whatnot, that that was sort of this small little stone of being like moved on. And, um, and yeah, and I packed up and I, I left, wow. I left, and, and, you know, quite frankly, um, Hollywood is a really weird place. It's a place where you can go out on a date and the person goes, so. I watched your movie last night and I'm so glad you're not a bad actor. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's just, it's a very, it's the only place where you can break up with somebody or they break up with you. And then you have to drive past the billboard with their face on it for the next three months. <laughs> gotcha. It's very strange. I can't imagine what it's like now with mask and no mask and backs. And no, it's just gotta be. Oh, anyways. Yeah. Well, I think that between the masks and COVID and woke, that it's a level of fear unlike anything you or any, any of your contemporaries have experienced before. But obviously, you've been away from Hollywood for a, for a while, 
And right. in recent years, you kind of tiptoed back, not that you're in California, but you're kind of creating films again, you're writing scripts, you're being creative in a way that was sort of similar to what you were in the past. What was the, was there a specific project or trigger or moment you thought, you know, I need, I don't need to kind of end that chapter of my life. I can actually do it, but do it on my own terms with kind of keeping my sanity and soul. Well, yeah, well, I gave my life to Christ. I mean, that's where I'm at. Um, that's what happened. I had an experience that I can't explain that I don't know. I don't try and tell the story because it's unexplainable, but I was, I had a moment, um, and, uh, I became willing to do whatever, um, I was asked to do. And, and uh, much to my chagrin, initially, everything that kept coming at me was pushing me back into the movie business, but with, with a different cause with trying to be um, a part of the solution in culture and not the problem. And when I say that, um, you know, to, to just try and do things that either are, 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 that you can sit down and watch with your whole family or something that pushes back on the norms of the world. Not that, not that the world is normal, but what they are calling the norms of the world. And so uh, I really just feel like, um, I'm just following what I, what I believe to be, I'm asked to do, you know, <laughs> in a, in a Tebow-esque sort of way. <laughs> now, a key part of that journey is the healing garden, which is available right now. We'll have uh, information about that on the podcast as well. You can check it out. That's a film that's a small film, but I, I prefer intimate or personal. It's not a huge budget, obviously. It's faith-based, but it's smart and it has sort of that indie vibe in the best sense of the word. When now that you've created it, it's out there, you're getting some wonderful responses from audiences. What do you take away from that project? Because it's obviously a, a, a key part of your evolution and sort of rejoining this society, but on your own terms. Right. Well, there's a couple of things, you know, that are really key to that and that some people, especially people of faith, will disagree with. Um, you know, there was a, an idea that uh, everybody in this movie that works on this movie needed to be a person of faith. And I completely disagree with that. Uh, and my job is to make the best film possible and to do that, you have to hire the best, best people possible. Um, so uh, unlike other realms of the show business, I was not willing to discriminate against anyone for any reason, no matter what their lifestyle was, because everyone there on that set that worked incredibly hard that I could not have done it without them, they all read the script. They knew what it was about. Um, and they were all getting paid. And so they didn't have a problem with it. Why would I have a problem with them? Um, so, you know, that was, that was how I felt about it and still feel about it. Um, it was an opportunity for me to engage with all kinds of people that I probably disagree with them on lots of things, but we all came together to make this really sweet, nice little movie that parents and grandparents can sit around with their kids and grandkids and, and not have to worry about anything. And yeah, it was really done in the spirit of those great 1990s independent films. Yeah, you know, a, a quick quick comment. What you just said, I hear echoed all the time when I speak to people who are either Christians or conservatives or both, as far as the working relationship with people on the set, off the set. They don't want to discriminate. They don't want to push people aside. They're welcoming to people who might be secular, might be you know left of center. They don't want to kind of play that path. They just want the best people possible. I hear it again and again. And it's so interesting that the people who are often discriminated against in Hollywood are taking that path, that reaction, as opposed to let's keep this, keep this a close set. You know, let's have a bunch of Christians on set. We'll make it. We'll make the project our way. 
it's not like that. So kudos for that. And it's, it's something that is really part of the, the overall landscape in Hollywood. And I wish that more people who are left of center had that welcoming, open attitude. But, uh, you know, it would, it would benefit them. I don't think what, what they don't understand is like, um, you know, we don't want any Republicans or, or we don't want any this or that, is that they're really shooting themselves in the foot before the race because what that those people um, that you disagree with are where some of the best ideas will come from because they are things that you would not have thought of because it's not in, the, in your thinking. And that's actually the best argument for diversity with all the Absolutely. talk about diversity is that, well, if you had a whole bunch of people of color or people from different backgrounds, they're bringing something fresh and new and different to the, to the whole production. And you need that. That makes it a richer experience. And yet sometimes people in Hollywood are pushing away that diversity because they don't want that when it can make the, the, the bottom line is the product would be better. But the, all their diversity is based on aesthetics, not intellectual ideas. Mm-hmm. And when you have diversity of, of aesthetics, that's all you have. You have a group think of a rainbow. And it's, it just doesn't lend, in my opinion, to a greater creative outcome. Yeah. Well, to be fair, Stephen Colbert is hilarious these days because he's got such a, <laughs> such a bubble point of view. Who knows what's going to happen? TV show? <laughs> apparently, apparently the lights still oh, come on really? and everything. So. Oh. so I want to talk about it, obviously, Ride Sally Ride. And I don't want to describe it. I want you to describe it because you're so close to it and, and your vision is so sort of in sync with what the story is. So just um, give me your elevator pitch on that because I, and we'll go more specifically from there. Yeah, so uh, in, in Elevator Pits, it's, it's about a young uh, Christian kid who destroys his neighbor's sex robot, and the district attorney in Colorado decides to charge him with first-degree murder. Um, it's based on a novel called Ride, Sally, Ride, and um, what, it, what, it, what, it's, what it's really about – first off, it's a, it's, a, it's a romantic comedy inside of a dystopian woke world. Um, but what it's about is that as a culture, if we continue to treat things and ideas as if they are real women, we will ultimately treat real women as if they too are things. And when I say that, let me just preface, we live in America where you are free to do what you want. If you want to change your, your, if you want to have surgery and change yourself and something, you know, let's. Take Jenner, for example. You know, good, good for him. If that's what makes his world, world fine. But don't tell me that he equates and that I should hold him in the same reverence as my wife. Because it's not going to happen. It's just not the same. And it's insulting to, to, to women. It's not easy to be a woman. It's not easy to be a human in this world anymore. But... Um, so, so that's what it's about. It's about personhood and womanhood. And, and if we take things and say that thing is also a real person and you destroyed not property, you destroyed a person um, and want to hold them to, to being a murderer. And I'll tell you, that's where it's going to go. There's already men out there because I've done a lot of research. There's already men out there that have legally married their, their, their sex dolls. Sometimes truth is uh, stranger than fiction and harder to parody. Uh, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about and before I even heard about this project was, why aren't we seeing comedies that are taking on sort of this woke 
landscape. It just seems ripe. You know, if the Colberts of the world won't touch it, fine. They don't want to go there. And if Saturday Night Live will will basically uh, push aside their whole mission statement not to cover it, fine. That's their choice. But you think there'd be filmmakers, especially indie filmmakers, lining up to do what you're about to do. And yet, I'm not aware of any project. Are you? And and, and I guess conversely, does that put more pressure on you that that this may be the first one out of the gate? Uh, well, I just bought some po- property to hide on. So, uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, listen, I, I I have a conviction that I feel like this is where, where, where I'm supposed to do. It's all done in – it's not mean-spirited. It's like a Coen's Brothers movie. You know, it's silly, it's kind of quirky, yet it, it's grounded in this sort of serious event. Um, you know, the other thing that that when 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 we're able to make this movie is that you know, there's there's there are people, there are characters in this that are of the alphabet people, of the LGB people. But as they are in the novel, um, they're not cliches. Every time I see you know a gay character in Hollywood, they're these flamboyants. Um, you know, like they're on the back of a truck at a parade, you know, throwing sparklies or something. And I just think that's disrespectful to them as people because most of the gay people that I've known and work with, you wouldn't even know they were until you met their partner or whatever. And so the characters that are gay or, or bi or, or whatnot in this, um, they're not caricatures of that and even 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 the people in hollywood who who create a lot of these they they create these characters and and they're just the people that you meet you know and secondly uh um this demographic is not as large as the culture wants you to believe it is i know that as a fact twitter is not real life it's kind of a good it's a good thing to kind of keep saying as as our time marches on Facebook is not a condo you should ever be in. <laughs> That's right. Well, Joseph, we, we hope to have you back on the podcast soon and frequently. But before I let you go, you know, there are a lot of people who may be like you, who might be inside Hollywood thinking about taking this on as a career, and maybe their values don't align with Hollywood or they they want to do things in their fashion. I, I know faith has been an important part of your journey there, but any sort of general advice to people who might want to be an artist to be a change maker, but maybe don't want to kind of follow the current group thing. Yeah. This is a fantastic opportunity to be a countercultural revolutionary. This is a great opportunity to be the Sid Vicious of your time. This is a fantastic opportunity to be the Lenny Bruce of this world. This is a fantastic opportunity to be the next Marlon Brando. Because if you're going along to getting along, that's all you're going to do. You're going to end up on some YouTube TV show for the rest of your life. Because eventually, if you stand up for what you believe and say what you believe and be who you are, somebody is going to go, that's the guy. That guy is different from everybody else. You know, I had this conversation with somebody just yesterday. Where are all the tough guys? Where are all the men that? Where are the Warren Beatty's and the Jack Nicholson and the Mickey Works? Mickey Work was a guy who could both take and throw a punch. Tell me who's the Mickey Work of today. There aren't any. They're soft and they're weak and they're going along to get along. I'm not saying all of them, but the majority of them. So this is a fantastic opportunity to be a rebel. This is to be a rebel with a cause. 
And that's just not that, that, that way anymore. It's a fantastic time to stand out. And yeah, you're going to get pushed back. You're going to get crushed. But if you keep towing the line that you make for yourself, you're going to get noticed because you're going to be the different one. Oh, I think it's a perfect way to end the conversation. Joseph, thank you for joining Right on Hollywood. Of course, the movie right now to see is The Healing Garden. You can catch that in most streaming services. And coming soon, Ride Sally Ride, the movie that may anger all the right people. And I'm looking forward to seeing that movie and watching the reaction at the same time. We come Joseph, with love. We that's come, right. We come with love. Joseph, thanks so much for joining the show, and we'll talk again. My pleasure. That's all the time we have for this week's show. Please drop by iTunes and give us a rating if you can. Even better, if you can pre-order my upcoming book, Virtue Bombs, How Hollywood Got Woke and Lost Its Soul, forward by the great Andrew Clavin. Coming soon, but if you give it a little push on Amazon, I'm told that's a good, good thing for my publisher. I'm new to this. This is my first book, so uh, please give it a little, little nudge, a little support if you can. I'd appreciate that. But we'll be back next week with more guests, more stories, more Hollywood craziness, and we'll talk again next week. Thanks for listening to the Right on Hollywood podcast part of the Just the News Network. We'd love to hear from you about the show. You can email Christian at HollywoodandToto.com. And please don't forget to rate and review us at Apple Podcasts. Five-star reviews make our day. But just speak from the heart. Free speech matters more than ever.